Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with Summit K-12, and we are so glad that you found us on this episode. We have not one, but two amazing guests from Cambium Learning Group and Cambium Assessments. Uh, we have with us John Jorgensen, uh, CMO, and we also have Gary Phillips, the Vice President of Psychometrics. Uh, and we're going to dive into a recent study that uh, Cambium Assessment uh, has put out that is... Uh, Got a lot of good uh, data that we need to be talking about uh, now more than ever. So uh, buckle up. We're going to get into uh, some uh, some interesting data and interesting conversation. Uh, we always like to uh, start out the the show with uh, uh, kind of a quick interview uh, overview. Sorry of uh, each of our guests, and then we'll dive into our questions. And John, we'll start with you. Uh, who are you, and and what do you love about what you get to do with Cambium, and especially as it results to, uh, as it relates to this uh, project on the assessments? Yeah, uh, well, thanks, JW. It's it's always great to be here. Great to see you. Um, I, yeah, my name's John Jorgensen. I'm the the chief marketing officer at Cambium Learning Group, and uh, you know my role at Cambium is is kind of threefold. One is to uh, to help um, just tell the brand story for Cambium Learning Group, who is this company, you know, and, and what is it all about and, and why should people uh, care about that? So, um, so so that's one thing. Another thing is I, I help each of our Cambium businesses to um, do the same thing. They, they all do really remarkable work. Cambium Assessment is, is one of those business units. And we try to um, help just share that story um, with the wider world as well. <laughs> the third thing is, and this is really, really important is, um, you know, we are a growing scaling business. And so um, it's important for us to uh, make sure that we're really kind of walking the talk in terms of our purpose and our brand uh, internally. So we spend a lot of time internally making sure that all of our employees feel uh, seen, valued and supported. That is our purpose as a company is to help teachers and students feel seen, valued and supported. So I spend a lot of time there. Um, and that's important with recruiting people. We're, like I said, we're growing, we're hiring people, it's competitive. So um, that's another big part of my job. I'm really, really excited to be here today just because um, this work that that uh, Gary's team has done um, is foundational for us being able to um, help teachers and students feel seen, valued, and supported in all sorts of ways. So um, really excited to be here. Awesome. And John has been on many times. If you're a, a longtime uh, listener, viewer of our show, uh, Gary is your first uh, appearance on the show. We're so excited to have you as our subject matter expert of the day. Um, Gary, tell us just a little bit about who are you and what do you love about what you get to do with Campium Assessment? All right. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a vice president of psychometrics at Cambium. Uh, I was previous acting commissioner at the National Center for Education Statistics. So I've been around for a number of years uh, doing analyses and, and research. Um, the thing I like about Cambium is that it's a growing company. Um, you know, we're hiring a lot of technical people. Uh, we're in probably uh, um, over 50% of the states, I believe. So, um, so we're doing a lot of exciting things. And this study was one of those. Perfect. Yeah. And, and we know there's a lot of... Uh variance in how research is conducted. So we're excited to really uh, dive into these questions with you. But first, John, if you could give us just a little bit of uh, what were the key findings from Cambium Assessment's recent report? Yeah, that's a great idea. So um, you know, before we jump into the findings, just a quick overview of, of what this study was all about. So last month, 
Cambium Assessment launched its first annual longitudinal study to help examine uh, the academic progress of the generation of students that have been affected by the pandemic. So uh, again, Cambium Assessment is part of Cambium Learning Group and it's the digital leader in state level assessment. It serves more than half of the states in the US. Um, and in the study, uh, which, which Gary's gonna talk about in much more depth, um, they followed the same uh, 2.25 million students from five different states over four years to really get a full picture of student outcomes. Um, and the research provides really much needed um, context uh, for ed, ed tech companies, for districts and educators um, to sort of chart the best path forward. So uh, some really clear findings that came up, I'm gonna talk about uh, three of them. So one is that math performance uh, had a dramatic double digit drop from pre-pandemic in 2019 to post-pandemic in 2022. Across the grade groups, math proficiency dropped by an average of 17% from 2019 to 2022. Grade four had the most significant drop. 50, 57% were doing on-level mathematics in 2019, and that dropped to 36% in 2021. So mathematics is a huge concern. English language arts performance also dropped uh, but not as significantly as mathematics on average. Uh, ELA proficiency, proficiency dropped by, by about 6%. So still still significant, but not, not nearly as dramatic as, as mathematics. The third thing is that the greater losses were observed for students uh, representing uh, historically marginalized communities. So black students have experienced more significant or um, disproportionate uh, percent proficiency decreases than other students. Hispanic students experienced the second most significant percent proficiency decrease. Um, and, and then we had white students and, and Asian students. So there's there's really an equity issue here. It's not just the proficiency impact uh, over um, the course of the pandemic, but the, the, the growing equity gap as well, which I know we're gonna talk about more. So, so those are the key findings of the study. And we'll talk more about why the study is, as Gary said, you know, what made this different um, and, and why it's so important. And then uh, same question to, to you, Gary, any key findings uh, to add, as well as any uh, additional uh, research methodology uh, to kind of uh, give our audience a little bit of a, a sense of, um, you know, the, the quality of this study? Yes. Okay, let me talk about the quality first. So uh, the study was longitudinal. Uh, it's very similar to a clinical trial where you follow a patient. Uh, you have a patient before you give them medication, then you follow them after. Uh, so it was longitudinal. Uh, and it also is important to note that it was representative. So it was administered, uh, the, the tests were administered in five states to the total population. Uh, so we have representative data uh, some of the other uh, vendors that have done uh, these types of studies sort of cherry pick data from their from their customer base. We did not do that. We took took five entire states, followed them over four years. Um, so uh, we had three cohorts, uh, grades three through six, grades four through seven, and grades five through eight. Uh, and so that gave us a good idea of, of uh, 
what's going on in the lower grades and what's going on in the middle grades. Um, so, so that's 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 the difference. Ours was longitudinal. Other studies so far, as far as I know, have all been cross-sectional, including the NAEP results. Um, and the the general findings, I I think they were just mentioned, but maybe I'll highlight a few more. Um, about half of these students were proficient um, um, in math prior to the pandemic. After the pandemic, there was a huge drop in the number of proficient students. For example, in grade three, uh, it dropped by 16%. Grade four, it dropped by 21%. And grade five, it dropped by fifteen percent. So there was a huge drop. There was a, there was a, a moderate drop for EL, ELA performance, but there was a huge drop for math. Um, so that's one of the one of the main findings uh, starting out in the study. And we did that, by the way, by comparing twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one. That's where we got an estimate of the learning drop. Then we went to 2022 to get an estimate of how much had been recovered or how much still, um, how big of a drop was still left over after two years after the, the pandemic. So those were some of the major findings. Um, we'll talk more about other findings later, I believe. Yeah. And I wanna get into why, <laughs> obviously, uh, the, if the report goes into to why and prescriptions. But first, I have to ask, um, you guys set this uh, study up before you even knew there was going to be a pandemic. Uh, how has the, the pandemic changed? Has it completely changed the focus? Or I guess what I'm trying to get at is what was the original intent before the pandemic? This ends up being kind of a, a really great study through the pandemic, but you set out well before the pandemic to do this study. What was the impetus to, to begin this project in the first place, if you can recall yeah. a pre-pandemic time? Sure. sure. Well, we already had data that was longitudinal because in these five states, we have contracts with these five states. So we, and these were the states where we had contracts back to 2019. So we were already collecting this data. It just turned out that, uh, uh, COVID happened in 2020, so we had data from 2019 for three cohorts, and then we were able to look at the data in 2021 and 2022. And in the future, we can look at data in 2023 and 2024. So we'll be able to track the trajectory of the pandemic uh, in future years as well. Perfect. And a lot of talk right now is also around a study that just came out from NAEP, as you referenced, uh, in AEP. Um, how does the Cambium assessment data compare with, with the NAEP uh, study? And what are the key differentiators between that study? Right. Uh, yes, NAEP came out with two studies, actually. Uh, one was uh, their age nine long-term trend. And that was followed by their grade four and eight cross-sectional, um, um, both of those studies were cross-sectional, not longitudinal. And uh, they did find very similar results to ours. I believe one uh, thing that is different is that 
we found some additional issues with the uh, demographic differences because since we had longitudinal data, we had more information and could track it a little bit better. So uh, we basically our findings are in the same direction, but I think we had a little bit more information than that. Then of course we also had data. Uh, they have NAEP has grades four and eight. We have grades three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So uh, we had more data uh, and could uh, uh, get a better uh, look at the uh, trajectory of of achievement following the, the the pandemic. And were there any key differentiators in the 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 margins of loss or? Uh, recovery in 2022, uh, did everything kind of line up pretty well, given your study was more robust and longitudinal? Uh, was their study in line with that, or, or were there any areas where it wasn't? Okay, so um, one thing that we found, um, which went beyond the NAEP results, was that uh, for the for demographic differences, um, the demographic differences in the base year were replicated every year after that. So that pattern in 2019 occurred again in 2021 and in 2022. And more importantly, again, this I think goes beyond the, the NAEP results, that pattern in the base year predicted uh, the 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 learning loss so that it was inversely proportional to how well they were doing in the base. So the demographic differences predicted the learning loss. And that will be one of the things that we will be tracking uh, in future years. So really validated. Hey, Gary, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just, JW, I just wanted to ask Gary to dig a little deeper on one thing, because this is something that um, we've talked a lot about internally. Um, Gary, I know that when it comes to the Cambium assessment study, uh, one of the differences that we talked about was, um, you know, every state has a, a different way of assessing their students. They have their their own standards, tons of overlap, very similar, but um, they they have specific they have specific assessments that are done at each state. And so this study is actually measuring um, what's happening state by state by state in a way that is um, both more precise and more relevant for the students and the educators in that state. Can you yeah. can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. That's a real good point. So the NAEP results are based on the NAEP standards. So they have basic proficient and advanced for grades four and eight. Those are not the state standards. Um, our results are based on the state standards. So they're closer locally to the states, the NAEP. Um, and what we used as the metric was the percent proficient in each state. So what we tracked was the drop in the percent proficient for each state. Um, and yes, that is um, closer to what's actually going on in the states than what NAEP is reporting because NAEP is a external test with its own standards and they're not the, they're not the standards in the state 
So the five states in the study are, are not named, uh, and that probably gives more validity to uh, people looking at those results and saying, oh, X state is you know known for this or known for that. Um, but talk a little bit about uh, why you decided to um, partner with these states that, and, and keep them kind of uh, collectively together for the integrity of the data. Right, okay, so we decided to partner with these five states because they were the ones where we had good data going back to 2019 and good data for 2022. There are other states where we go back to 2020 or something like that. Um, and um, the, uh, uh, the states uh, in some cases have their own learning loss study, which might be a little bit, results might be a little bit different from the ones that we reported on. but the number of students that we included and they're, broad, they're broadly representative of the country, kind of scattered all over. Uh, so we are very comfortable that the results um, uh, broadly re represent the country and uh, the states wanted to uh, uh, remain anonymous uh, and we did get permission from the states to use their data. And just a reminder of the audience, uh, 2.25 million students uh, were were included amongst these five states. That's a really large uh, population should be studying with longitudinal data. That's right. Um, I want to get a little bit more into the, the gaps, um, as we can imagine, um, between those subpopulations of students, the gaps got larger proportionally to where they were uh, at a, as a starting point. Um, why, why do you think that is? And, and maybe this is a question for John, what are we doing or what should we be doing to help um, recover appropriately and proportionally with equity uh, for these students that uh, have been affected uh, it really in different ways, depending on uh, their subpopulation? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I'll definitely let, let Gary um, get into the, the, the detail a bit, but um, you know, equity is a, a growing concern, uh, not just at Cambium, but across education, across the ed tech space. You know, I mean, this is something that we, um, it, it's not new. It's not that the pandemic certainly didn't cause there to be an equity gap. But when you look at these historically marginalized communities that that um, that, that Gary talked about, um, you know, clearly there is, there is an economic, a socioeconomic uh, gap that sort of overlays with that and um, it's continuing to widen and so companies like ours are constantly asking ourselves you know what what part can we play and, I, and i'll talk a little bit more about that um uh, a bit later in terms of some of the actual things that cambium is doing um but i think that that is something that that our company again it goes back to our purpose you know if, if we really are going to be able to do, deliver on all teachers and students, you know, that's not just, you know, in certain zip codes, teachers and students, but all teachers and students feel seen, valued and supported, then uh, we have to look for ways to to address that. And and it's been it's been a real challenge for, for many years. It's not going to be something that gets addressed, you know, with a, a single, um, uh, you know, influx of funding or, you know, a state initi state initiatives that, that, you know, get passed and suddenly everything is, is better. But um, it's going to take a sustained effort kind of across the spectrum. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll let Gary uh, dig more into the detail, but that definitely is something that is 
absolutely top of mind for uh, for companies like ours as we're making decisions about products we develop and um, all of that. Yes, I mean, the amazing thing about the results of the study is that the very same differences in performance between the demographic groups was sustained each year after the pandemic. And the unfortunate effect also was that the gaps uh, that were there got larger um, uh, as the years went by and in some cases did not recover. Um, so uh, again, the uh, Asian students who are typically the highest performing, uh, I started out with a very small gap uh, or a, a very small uh, learning loss and recovered almost all of it. African-Americans started out with a lot of learning loss in 2021 and didn't recover very much of it at all in 2022. So the, the more disadvantaged groups are the ones that are gonna have the hardest time catching up in the future. And in the future, we do intend to follow these demographic groups and see uh, how well they, they do catch up in the future. All right, give us some, some good news if you can, if there is any uh, in that recovery for all students uh, combined, um, how much ground did we make up uh, from the loss of uh, 20 and 21? Uh, when you look at the data from 21 to 22, we did see a little bit of a bounce back um, and how much more work do we have uh, set ahead for us, uh, especially for certain yeah. subpopulations, but just overall, um, are we are we turning the corner onto the back uh, back onto the right trajectory? Okay, so let me. That's a very good question, and we have pretty good information on that. So first of all, ELA, uh, ELA uh, had a moderate drop for all three cohorts. Unfortunately, and that was from 2019 to 2021. 2022, it dropped even more a little bit, a little bit, like a percent or two. Um, so it did not recover in 2022 for ELA. In mathematics, uh, there was some recovery in the upper grades. In the lower grades, there was no change. Like for example, the grade three cohort had dropped 16% in 2021, and it was still down 16% in 2022. So, so, so some of the recovery that you see is in mathematics in the upper grades, uh, none in ELA. Um, I'm assuming that in future years, there will be more recovery in the lower grades. And of course, there's always a question, why is this? Like, for example, why did the students drop more math in, in ELA? I, I have a theory, but it's just a theory. My theory is that uh, uh, reading and writing are skills, math is knowledge. And um, um, you would expect once you've learned a skill to not lose it, um, but knowledge that you didn't acquire is obviously you're going to be, you're going to uh, uh, be less able in mathematics, for example, and since you missed that grade. Now, when you think about recovery, um, again, uh, 
probably mathematics is something that you can, you know, you can get a book on and take a course and now you know more mathematics. You can't really do that as well in reading and writing, which I think is more of a skill. But that's just my theory. There may be other explanations for it. By the way, other studies, including NAEP, have also found this pattern that the drop for ELA was smaller than the drop for math. And the drop for math is very troubling. And John, uh, I have a theory too, I, I'm happy to share, but do you have a theory on why math dropped more than reading? Uh, I, I wanna hear your theory, theory first, JW. I'll, I'll throw mine out there. Um, as a parent, myself with three uh, young children, um, I will say that as parents became the primary teachers uh, for a good year to two years, um, I think it was easier for me personally to read stories with my kids and to maybe not work on specific ponies, but just to, to keep reading as a part of the day-to-day -day of our, our kids' lives. I was not as inclined to go out and find a math workbook and teach math, uh, you know, foundational concept to foundational concept. Um, so part of my theory is that parents, it was easier when the burden was, was really laid on them in a lot of ways to, to maybe keep the books uh, open, to keep uh, reading with their kids and maybe minimize that loss a little bit as just repetition of uh, reading with their parents versus uh, getting out again, math books or math workbooks and doing what many parents would consider and maybe students as well, the hard work of teaching and learning and building on, uh, on the math. Uh, but that's that's my, uh, as uh, Gary said, uh, personal theory. Uh, no, I don't have any longitudinal research other than my three uh, uh, test subjects uh, in my my uh, home. Uh, any theories you want to put out there, or thoughts on our theories? So, so I certainly I, I don't know. Of course, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I I do think both of um, what you both shared I, it makes makes good sense to me. You know, I, I think that the idea of something being a skill. Um, something that you actually learn how to do as opposed to something where you are you are taking in knowledge and then like building on that knowledge in a in a really structured way um i mean we, we see that over the course of of a regular summer um where where that that occurs that that loss and so um you know the summer slide is something that we've 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 heard about for many years this in some ways could be considered a, a very extreme version of that um so so i think what gary said uh, that, that sounds like a really uh, sound theory to me. And, and I think your point, JW, is a really good one. I think that, you know, we talk a lot about with um, with elementary teachers, for example, and the difficulty of not just mathematics, but STEM in general, and how historically those have been, um, those have been difficult uh, things. You know, it's the K-5 is so literacy focused and most elementary teachers by their own admission feel much more comfortable uh, teaching literacy i won't get into science of reading and the challenges that's brought about more recently because that is kind of uh, that's a another, another show a total another show um but i think that this is something that is um is real you know that that just not feeling comfortable just as a parent certainly wouldn't uh, feel as comfortable um kind of diving into to mathematics that they haven't done for a long time so that both of you guys i i think are putting forth um interesting takes on this all right, well, we're, we're almost out of time. I don't want to leave uh, the last question to both of you. Uh, what is one thing, one key takeaway uh, that you'd like for our audience to uh, to learn from the findings of this study? And uh, let's start with uh, Gary. Well, I think my main one takeaway is that the learning loss due to the pandemic is real. 
um, and it's serious and it's long lasting. So two years after students still haven't recovered um, and you know, it might take three years or four years just to get back to where they were in 2019. So we at, we at Cambium, we intend to continue following this cohort. Uh, again, it's uh, kind of like, like medical research. The longer you follow uh, people um, you know, in, in a clinical trial, the more you learn about them. Um, we're going to do the same thing here. And the better you can serve those patients, the students now and in the future. And I and think that's a big I... silver lining that we really need to learn right. and address the immediate and, and... need, but also make it better for students in the future that don't have to go through a pandemic. Yes, yes. And same question, John, I'll give you the last word. What's the, the one key takeaway that you have from the study? Oh yeah, well, I, I, as Gary said, this is something at the cambium assessment level that is gonna continue into the future, um, no doubt. I, you know, I, I, when you ask the question that way, I go back to um, when I was a kid myself and, and I remember, you know, coming home and uh, upset about something and talking to my father and, you know, saying, you know, this happened and that happened and this isn't fair and that's not fair. And I remember he would always listen to me like he would, you know, he, he, he acknowledged what I was saying, but but he would always, you know, then say that, you know, I hear you. What are you going to do about it? You know, and so I think that's kind of where I'm at with all of this is, um, you know, what what and I would ask all of us this question, what what are we all going to do about it? And so, you know, me being at Cambium, working with people like Gary, um, you know, we are we're, we're every day thinking about ways that we can do something. So just a couple of examples, you know, Lexia Learning, another Cambium business has a um, speaking of science of reading, a science of reading professional learning product called Letters. Um, which is specifically designed to teach teachers how to teach reading using the science of reading. And so um, that's an example of a of a, a product that is designed to kind of get at the heart of these issues. Why are these sustained? Why are these sustained results happening? Um, not just with with um, as a result of COVID, but but overall with proficiency. Well, if 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 teachers are not able to teach. Um, reading using the science of reading then they're going to continue to have the same problems you know so i think those are the kinds of solutions that that we are making investments in to um, try to have a, a more sustained um, effort that's going to to help in the longer run so i would just i would encourage all ed tech companies like ours not just cambium um but and even outside of the ed tech space anyone who's in education what what part can you play to um, again, help help these kids and these teachers feel seen, valued, and supported. That can take all sorts of forms, whether it's legislation or just volunteering, providing support, uh, just prioritizing teachers as professionals. Um, all sorts of things all of us can do. Certainly at ed tech companies, we're, we're focused on the solutions that will create kind of sustained impact going forward. So uh, we all have a part to play. Absolutely. It's going to take all of us. And I think the key buzzword I've been hearing for the last year or two is acceleration. What can we do to accelerate learning? Because that's the only way we're going to make up the difference, right? Yeah, we yes. could do longer school days or right. a few other things you could do. But with the time we have, how do we make it more efficient, more engaging, more effective for the students? And and my my big hope is 
if we can start figuring that out. And I think we are in some pockets and we'll keep focused um, that these students will actually be the beneficiaries of this terrible trauma that we've all uh, experienced as a group is the, the learning practices will get better. The rate of learning can, can get faster, more efficient. And these students not only can catch up, but they could actually be ahead of where they would have been if we would have been following the status quo from 2019 pre-pandemic levels. And especially for those student populations that the gap is already there. It's already been big, it's gotten bigger. The pandemic's shown the light on that. And what can we do to accelerate learning for those students so that we can make up that ground and help those students get uh, ahead uh, in the future uh, and, and future generations of students either not get behind or have the ability to, to get ahead as well. I think it's uh, overall an exciting time in education. Uh, we're ripe for some, some, some systemic change for the better. Uh, but we've got to stay focused. And that's why we do this show. And that's why we love uh, having you on and uh, sharing the good work that you're doing uh, with uh, Cambium Assessments and, and uh, uh, the other Cambium uh, you know, companies. Uh, keep up the great work. And thank you so much for joining today's episode. Thank you very and much. Great to and to our audience, thank you so much for joining another episode of the Voices of E-Learning podcast. I've been your host, J.W. Marshall, and we are uh, very excited for you to check out past episodes uh, talking about learning loss or unrealized learning, uh, talking about solutions, and certainly continue to join us uh, throughout the end of the year as we uh, begin season three starting in uh, January. Thank you again, and remember to always, always keep learning.